you would please open in the Bible to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 21, which you'll find on page 978 in the Pew Bible, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 21. If you would please stand. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Sovereign Father, thank you very much for this chance for us to get together today. Holy Father, we pray that you'd be pleased to send your sovereign spirit powerfully upon us, that you would put away from us all the distractions that would keep us from hearing your voice, pry open our cold, resistant hearts, and give us grace, Father, that we might hear your word this morning. Believe it, obey it, Father, and rejoice in it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, This is an anniversary year for our family. Leslie and I moved to Dallas 25 years ago this fall. Uh, from Vancouver, Canada, where we'd lived uh, previously, working at a church up there. We moved here in 1997, settled in, and uh, have enjoyed living here in the Dallas area all this time. We've come to think of this very much as home, and we love it here. I'll never forget one of our first experiences, though. We we had just uh, been living in Dallas for a few months, and we were invited to go to the Texas State Fair. And we love the Texas State Fair, but let me tell you, it was a very interesting first experience. Uh, first of all, we arrive, and there's this gigantic cowboy uh, that I had just not seen a cowboy quite that big before in my life. And it was just a little glimpse of what the fair was like. Everything was big and bright and lots and lots and lots of stuff to do. And uh, Les and I brought the whole family. Our kids were young at that time. Uh, and so we showed up with our five little ones in tow. We were making our way from the entranceway to this one particular show they were offering. It was, uh, curiously enough, the Royal Canadian Matted Police had sent their horse patrol to the Texas State Fair. And so we were thrilled, having just left Canada, to come and see the RCMP uh, horses as they performed there in the in the huge stadium. So we were making our way from the entryway of the state fair to this one particular show. And you can imagine what this is like. If you've been any time lately, you'll know exactly what I mean. We were making our way down the fairway. Uh, Here was Leslie and me, our five little kids, uh, as we made our way across this busy area. Uh, There was so much stuff going on. And as we made our way, uh, there, there were all the... Uh, people hawking different sideshows you could go to. There were all kinds of games, and our kids' eyes were as big as quarters, looking at all the Cupid dolls and the uh, the 
essentially zero value prizes they were giving away and yet it looked so bright and shiny and we all wanted to go over there and they would pull this way and that way and uh, there were the, the rides, these zooming rides and swinging rides and, and lifting up and dropping down dramatically rides and everybody was so excited. Uh, and then there were all the fried foods. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. They, they fry everything that can be fried and a few things that can't be fried and there we were, just making our way across the fairway. And uh, all the stimulation, all the activity had, uh, had definitely worked its way through our family. And so Les and I led this little group. And here were the kids. We were all making our way down the fairway. And there was the shoving and the, and the punching and the fussing and the fighting and the pouting. And the kids were no better than me and Leslie. Uh, that was our introduction to the Texas State Fair. It was an overwhelming a century full experience. Well, that was on my mind uh, this morning as uh, I was thinking about Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. Uh, Paul is talking to these people in Ephesus whom he loved very much. He's already told them back up in chapter 5, verse 1, to, to be imitators of God, to verse 2, walk in love. He's used this image of walking. It's one of his favorite images. In fact, Paul only uses the word walk figuratively uh, to describe the walk of life. And so here in chapter uh, 5, verse 15, he again talks about walking. The Greek word is peripateo. Look carefully then how you walk. Look carefully how you walk. Uh, Life as a walk is sort of like that Texas State Fairway. Uh, There are so many distractions. There are so many shiny, bright things. There are so many people yelling at us. There are so many things that look interesting and worthwhile, all calling out to us. It's, It's like these people shouting out at the fair, just come over here, try this, do that. And in that environment, which is very much the way our life is today, Paul says, look carefully how you walk. It's very, very good advice. Uh, Good advice for uh, each one of us as individuals. Very good advice for our church to look carefully. Uh, Not to be led astray by all the distractions, all the things that would pull us away from the course that God has set before us. So that's what Paul's going to be talking about. He's going to be telling us how to walk carefully. Now, he gives us a few things uh, at the very beginning. He's going to be contrasting two things. Uh, He's going to be contrasting what is uh, wise from what is unwise. He's going to be contrasting what is evil with what is making the best use. And so let's think a little bit about that contrast. Uh, This idea of unwise versus wise, that's, that's a very important distinction. Uh, not only in Texas State Fair, but in life. Knowing what is unwise and what is wise is a very important thing to be able to do because all the decisions in life boil down to wisdom, making wise choices, making decisions that are wise. And then he makes the point that along with this uh, wisdom versus lack of wisdom, there's also this idea of making the best use of time and and being engaged in the evil days. He he says these are evil days. 
Um, you know, I think a lot of us have very rose-colored pictures uh, in our heads of what life was like, say, 25 years ago when Leslie and I unloaded our little family into the life here in Dallas. And I get very sentimental and misty-eyed thinking about life in those days. Um, some of us are misty-eyed and, and sentimental about, say, the 1950s when we were growing up. I was growing up in the 1950s. Some of you were growing up in the 60s, 70s, 80s. But for me, it was the 50s. And I get very sentimental, misty-eyed, thinking about the 50s and, and life at that time and my little family and starting out in life and, and uh, the, the way we lived and some of the things we did. And, and with time and with sentimentality, a lot of that looks really, really sweet and simple and innocent. Um, maybe you're the same way, thinking about the good old days. We all know about the good old days back then. Well, Paul is telling the Christians in the first century AD that the days are evil. The days are evil. There's no place for sentimentality for Paul. He wants the Ephesian Christians, he wants us to know that whenever we live, whatever we're going through, whatever our culture is doing, there is at the heart of it, at the very center of it, a kind of evil. And that's true all the time. The good old days had evil. And today has evil. I mean, I, I can certainly get going about the evil in our culture today. It seems to me obvious and deeply disturbing. But Paul's pointing out that that is always true. That is always true. There is always, in the middle of the world's culture, in the middle of life apart from God, there is this evil. And, and by that he means a, a disinterest in God, a, a removal from God. That, Paul says, is what the world is like. Now there, there are pretty parts, there are bright shiny parts, there are parts that are sentimental, but at the heart of it there is this evil and Paul wants the Ephesian Christians to be aware of that, not to be distracted by these things, but to be wise about them. So as he tells us to be careful as we walk, that, that includes in it this idea of, of, of having wisdom, being aware of the evil in the world around us, be, being aware of the challenges and the temptations all around us. That is a an element of wisdom. And hoping and wishing for the good old days is a terrible idea. What we want to be looking for is the good day to come. Paul's putting our attention on the good day to come, the day when Jesus Christ will come and make all things right. And we want to have our eyes on Christ and on the coming fulfillment of his promises. Not to have sentimental understanding of the way things used to be with all the struggles of the 50s. Racism, I, I was raised in a culture that, was, that reeked of racism. I didn't know it at the time. Didn't mean to be. But that was the world I lived in and it's the world of those good old days in my mind. When, when women were treated with terrible consistency in a way that wasn't Christ-honoring. Uh, 
That was the good old days. That was back in the good old days, right? Well, at the middle of the good old days that we all wax sentimental about, whenever your good old days were, I promise you there is in the world a continuing evil. And Paul wanted the Ephesians to be aware of it, and we need to be aware of it as we seek to exercise care as we walk. So Paul has some words for the church in Ephesus, and I think these are really important words for us too. He says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Actually, I'd like for us to spend some time this morning just thinking about what Paul tells his friends in Ephesus and what he's telling us. That we should be filled with the Spirit. He actually seems to put these things in parallel. He's saying, therefore, don't be foolish, but understand. Don't be foolish, understand. Don't get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. Uh, Being drunk, he says, is just a form of debauchery. And my goodness, a lot of us know what that's all about. You get someone drunk enough and they do crazy things. Well, if you're unwise enough, you do crazy things. If you're foolish, then you will do crazy things. And we see that today, and we saw it in the 50s, and we saw it in the previous 2,000 years, because whenever a bunch of sinners get together, we're very often going to be foolish. And that's what Paul cautions the church about and cautions us about. I want to caution our young people about these things. You're you're leaving the, the protection of mom and dad. You're going off on your own. Amazing opportunities. Amazing temptations. Amazing distractions. It will all look and sound really good at times. Paul says, be careful where you walk. Don't be foolish. Instead, he says, understand what the will of the Lord is. And then he, he, he puts that in this parallel relationship with with this idea of being filled with the spirit to be uh, understanding of the will of the lord he parallels with this idea of being filled with the spirit uh, knowing the will of the lord being filled with the spirit let's let's think about that i've actually called my sermon this morning uh be filled with the holy spirit uh, partly because this is the season of pentecost this is the season uh, in the in the history of the church, when we traditionally reflect on the work of the Holy Spirit, the season begins with Acts 2 and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, where the apostles were filled with the Spirit and the people watching them thought they were drunk. If you remember that episode. Uh, so Pentecost is a season when we reflect on the Holy Spirit. And as Metrocrest moves towards our anniversary, This is a good time for us to think about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit and to listen to Paul's advice about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I said uh, last Sunday, jokingly, as we looked back over Ephesians chapter 1, that there in Ephesians chapter 1, verses uh, 3 through 14, uh, Paul uses a lot of language that resonates with Presbyterians. Uh, He talks about election. He talks about predestination. We just did the New City Catechism, which made reference to both. 
This idea that we have a sovereign God. And there, there are references in Ephesians that remind us where we get these Presbyterian distinctives. We didn't make them up. They're in the Bible. And so there were a lot of words in Ephesians 1 that resonate with Presbyterians. But here's a word that makes Presbyterians just a little uneasy. All right? Makes us just a little bit nervous. What do you mean, Bill? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That sounds just a little bit charismatic. Right? We, we get a little uncomfortable. What does, that, what does that mean? Well, Paul wasn't afraid to sound a little bit charismatic. Because he knew and loved the Holy Spirit. And he knew and loved the Holy Spirit in part because the Holy Spirit shows us Christ. If we don't know the Holy Spirit, we will not know Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And so Paul wants Christians to be filled with the Spirit. So what does that mean? Does it mean speaking in tongues? He doesn't say anything about tongues here. Now the way he describes speaking, the way he describes being filled with the Holy Spirit is very different from the way many charismatic Christians talk about it. It's it's not about speaking in tongues. He doesn't talk about the manifestation of miraculous healing or words of knowledge, all these different things which we often uh, relate to that idea. No, what Paul talks about, when he talks about being filled with the Spirit, he talks about some very different things. We're going to look at those in a second. But where does this being filled with the Holy Spirit come from? What, what What is he trying to say here? Well, I want to point out an interesting parallel. Uh, The same person who wrote the book of Ephesians also wrote the book of Colossians. If you flip over to Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, I just want to point out a couple of interesting parallels. All right? Uh, He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Do you hear the echoes? All wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Do you hear the echoes? With thankfulness in your hearts to Christ. Do you you hear the echoes? And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, and then giving thanks to God the Father through him. The book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians were written Uh, historians tell us, about the same time. So when Paul in one place talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, in another place he talks about letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. As, As Paul's describing to the Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell richly, he seems to be talking about the same kinds of fruit that comes from being filled with the Spirit. So flip back to Ephesians and and have this idea of the Word of Christ in mind as we talk about being filled with the Spirit. Now, I'm so glad I'm taking Greek. Colton and I are taking Greek. I'm a a first-year student again after many, many years. But it's interesting to look at verbs. And this verb, being filled with something. Being filled with it. This verb... Now, Colton, you pay close attention, okay? Okay. It is present tense. That means it's ongoing, being filled. It's present right now, ongoing. 
It's an imperative mood. That means it's a command. So he's saying, be filled with the Spirit. But it's also passive. He's saying, uh, we don't fill ourselves. Rather, we receive the Spirit's fullness. We are filled with Him. We're commanded to keep on being filled with the Spirit. So there's this ongoing command to be passively filled with something. Sinclair Ferguson wrote about these verses. He says, Paul is carefully balancing two things. First, that we are active in the experience of filling. God does not treat us as automatons, so there's an imperative. But second, that this activity actually involves us being receptive, yielding, in that sense passive, so that we are filled with the Spirit. Another way of putting this might be submit yourself, yield yourself to being filled by the Holy Spirit. And in Paul's mind, that is closely connected with dwelling in Christ's word richly. Those ideas in Paul's way of describing them at about the same time, they are the same ideas. So being filled with the Spirit is dwelling richly in Christ's word. And what that means is what the Holy Spirit does in our life is he brings Jesus into our lives. He opens our hearts to Jesus. And then he teaches us through Christ's word, wisdom. See the connection to wisdom and this idea of being filled with the Spirit? Being filled with the Spirit means being filled with Christ's word, which is what the Spirit does. And then as we are filled with Christ's word, we grow in wisdom. We, we repent more and more of foolishness. We become able more and more to spot the loud, noisy distractions and to pay attention to the still, quiet voice. We begin to be able to tell the difference between foolishness and God's will. And let me tell you, that is, a, that is something to pray for. That is something to yield ourselves to. To submit ourselves to God's holy word, to learn from him. Well, that's part of this walking carefully, avoiding the distractions. It's, it's learning what's what. Learning our way, learning about ourselves, learning about God, learning about the world. That's, that's uh, something I, I long for my kids as they grow up more and more. Uh, they're all adults now. I'm praying that they will continue to grow in wisdom, to continue to grow in discernment so that they can teach their children and they can teach their children who will teach their children the wisdom of the, of the covenant. Uh, I'm so proud of Gary uh, McMillan who uh, today uh, was acknowledged publicly as a member of our covenant family. Uh, that didn't happen in a vacuum. Okay, the Lord can do whatever he wants to do the way he wants to do it. But the way he usually does it, the way he usually does it, is he raises up godly parents who teach their children about Jesus and teach the word of Christ. And the Holy Spirit comes and applies that word and prunes and corrects and exhorts and changes and, 
and the Holy Spirit makes us a little more like Jesus. And, and we see these young people growing up so that they stand up and confess their faith in Christ. You know, we believe in infant baptism here. We practice infant baptism enthusiastically. But the only way infant baptism makes sense is if we let the word of Christ dwell richly in our homes, in our lives, as we teach our children. Then the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit does and he he captures us and changes us and transforms us over many years into the likeness of Christ. And our young people grow up and having faced some of the, the temptations and struggles, they stand up and they say, I know what my mom and dad have taught me. I, I know what they believe. I want to confess my faith now. And I look around the room and I see these little ones growing up, babies growing up. And Paul's vision and our vision at Metrocrest is that we will all be growing in the wisdom of the Lord as the Holy Spirit applies Christ's words in our life and changes all of us, the whole covenant family, over time into the image of Jesus. And that's what Paul has in mind when he's talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's this this idea of the Spirit applying the word to our hearts. And he mentions several specific fruits. Debauchery is the fruit of drunkenness. That's what that looks like. But now in verse 19 through 21, he describes what the work of the Holy Spirit looks like, what being filled with the Holy Spirit looks like. He says, verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You know, every once in a while, someone will describe the Christian faith in terms that are legalistic and judgmental and dour and very downbeat and negative. Not in Paul's understanding. No, the first thing he mentions as the fruit of being filled with the Spirit is this musical joy. What we just did together, what we just did together, what our music team just helped us do was to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with our hearts. And that's what corporate worship does for us. It, it gives us the chance to actually address one another. Your joy in the Lord is contagious. Your joy in the Lord helps me be joyful in the Lord. And my joy in the Lord will help you be joyful in the Lord. And our joy together in the Lord is what forms this magnetic community where people sense the loving presence of Jesus, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, and that attracts other people to Jesus. So, singing, making melody to the Lord. I want to say thank you to our music team. They come up here week after week. Uh, They have no interest in drawing attention to themselves. Their great desire is to draw us and our attention to Christ. And that's what they're all trying to do is draw us to Christ. It's not about showmanship. It's not trying to uh, wow us with their skills, although they are wonderfully skilled. No, their purpose, their delight is to help us sing praise to one another, address one another in our singing. Verse 20, 
giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's already given thankfulness as an antidote to all the sexual immorality that he's described earlier in chapter 5. In contrast to that, he places thankfulness. And here again, he reminds us that it is really impossible to be consciously aware, deeply aware of what Jesus is doing and to be truly thankful and to at the same time completely abandon ourselves to our darker sides, our our worst impulses. Now, we'll all be tempted, we'll all struggle, we'll all stumble. You, You can walk carefully and still stumble. But his point is that as we grow in thankfulness to the Lord, as we grow in reflecting on all that we have to be thankful for, one of the most wonderful attributes a person can have is thankfulness. Is there anything worse than a sense of entitlement? A sense of, uh, I've got this coming, this is mine, you owe me this. That is always a twisting way of thinking. And it's always, at the same time, a liberating way to think of how thankful we are for every single blessing. I try to make a discipline in my own prayers. I don't ask God for something without first thanking him for something. If there's something I'm praying about, something I'm worried about, my family or I, if there's something I'm concerned about, and there, I have a lot of those, I try to remember as I call out to the Lord, as we are right to do, at the same time to thank him. And I promise you, you will always find something to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. It may be as simple as a beating heart and a a breath. Sometimes it's as simple as that. But most of the time, we have a lot of things to be thankful for. And above all, we have the most wonderful thing to thank him for, his gift to us in Jesus. The the word for give thanks Uh, which he uses here, giving thanks, verse 20, is Eucharistia, where we get the word for the Lord's Supper, Eucharist. It's the idea of Eucharist. That's what the center of the Lord's Supper is. Not a ritual, but an attitude of thankfulness. That's meant to be in our hearts as we come forward to receive the bread and wine, which remind us of what Jesus did on the cross. When we do that, we have this attitude of thankfulness. And the more we reflect on what Jesus did on the cross, the more thankful we become. So Paul says, be careful, walk carefully, be filled with the Spirit, and being filled with the Spirit will give you this deepening sense of thankfulness. It's something we're to yield ourselves to. We're to be conscious of. And the third thing he says in verse 21 is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now this word submit, we're, we're, we're going to be looking at the word submit for the next couple of weeks. Uh, that's a very important word to Paul. Terribly misunderstood. Terribly misunderstood. We'll look at some ways it's been misunderstood. But here Paul pinpoints it, as the ESV has translated it, as the outworking of the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to give us hearts full of praise and song to the Lord. The Holy Spirit's going to uh, teach us and, and, uh, and make us thankful. And at the same time, the Holy Spirit's going to make every single one of us 
have an attitude of mutual submission out of reverence to Christ. It's actually something the whole community is called to do. Every single Christian in Ephesus, as as they were being filled with the Spirit, Paul's saying, should expect the fruit of this submitted heart. Now, it's submission to the Lord, absolutely. The Holy Spirit's going to draw us to submit ourselves, yield ourselves more and more and more to the Lord, to the God Almighty who reigns over us all, the one who elects us and, and predestines us. But he doesn't focus on that. He actually says submitting to one another. That will characterize all of our relationships with one another. There's no place in the church, as Paul understood it, for lording it over and ordering people around and, and, and exercising that attitude of legalism and judgmentalism that we all know about too much in church life. Paul's describing something very different. He's describing a mutual submission to one another, a humility towards one another, a patience and gentleness towards one another. It's a very attractive picture, one that resonates with our best impulses, that that's the part, the kind of a church, the kind of community that we want to be a part of, that we want to share with our friends and neighbors, that we want to invite people to come and know more about uh, this amazing Savior and the miraculous Spirit who draws us to him. All in praise to God and reverence for Christ. Well, we've had 25 years to learn our way around Dallas, and we've, as I said, made this our home. Paul's talking about our making our home in this relationship with the Lord and with the Lord's people. It'll impact every relationship in our lives. It's not simply a Sunday morning, go and let's do something together. It is a being something together. It's living out what we are. And he's going to have a lot more to say about that. Some of it might actually shake us up a little bit. But at the core, all of it is built on this idea of God and his amazing love in Jesus and the spirit which draws us to them.